Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Filmcast. I'm David Chen, and with me are Devinter Hardwar and Jeff Kanata. Welcome to the show, everyone. What we got in store for you today on the podcast, some what we've been watching, a lot of stuff we've been watching recently. And then we're going to move on into an in-depth review of Judd Apatow's latest movie, The King of Staten Island, which is available right now on, uh, I think it's called Premium Video On Demand. Uh, <laughs> so you can you can rent it uh, as, a, as an at-home, <laughs> for 20 bucks, as an at-home theatrical, bring the theater to you. Yes, uh, right as now. if you had Which, any choice in the matter. <laughs> it's basically when, the same as every other streaming thing. It just costs more right now. <laughs> <laughs> when the concept of theaters meant something, um, bringing the theater home to you at 20 bucks. But anyway, we'll talk about it and uh, whether we thought it was worth the money. But uh, yeah, that's uh, that's what's going to happen today here on the Slash Filmcast. Before we get into any of that, though, something we've been doing over the course of the last few weeks is... Uh, just check in a weekly check in, and we've actually gotten a lot of great feedback about this. Like people, uh, I, I saw a note on Twitter. I think that when like when I'm checking in with you guys on the podcast, it's like I'm checking in with our listeners. Is how they feel. Um, that's good. And, okay. That's nice. And yeah. I think that's uh, I think that's true. You know, like uh, we are living through unprecedented times right now, and um, I just want to acknowledge that at the beginning of every episode and see how people are doing and how it's impacting them in different ways. Divin your heart or how have think, things been going? Basically oh, sorry, go saying, ahead, what you're saying, Dave, is that our audience goes, hey, I guess it's not so bad for me listening to these guys. <laughs> <laughs> Divin your heart or how have you been doing this last week? Um, you know, surviving. It is yet another hellish week and a shout out to everybody still protesting, still out on the streets. Uh, not too far from me, uh, this past Sunday, there was an unprecedented gathering in support of trans lives uh in front of the brooklyn library and it's an incredible thing i saw the photos it was it was amazing yeah and that's a place i yeah that's a place i walk by all the time and just to see it packed with people you know back-to-back supporting um trans people and especially trans people of color like it's it's astounding so i love the place that we're in uh, taking all that in, meanwhile, like, immediately, <laughs> yeah, and I'm leaving immediately. Uh, you know, for for many reasons, because uh, you know we're we're looking at rising numbers all across the country. Um, I'm worried about like what what the you know what do you call them the revival. Or the like uh, return, second wave. Yeah. the second wave, yeah. Is well, be, I, I so. don't think we ever left the first wave. You know? No, we didn't. We just decided. This still feels uh, like the first wave. I don't know. I just read that New Zealand has two cases and they had zero cases. So we're in second wave for <laughs> sure. Yeah. If we were living in New Zealand, we would be in the second wave. That's correct, Jeff. I, I have to say, uh, I felt this sometimes, but certainly now I do feel like we are living in one of the dumbest places on earth. So mm. there is that. I, it's just like dealing with that, but also dealing with work and dealing with the move, which is like T minus a week for me. And, you know, it's crazy just packing up my apartment, uh, doing my best to get rid of things and thinking about what life will be, you know, in a house, which I have not lived in, in 20 years I think since before college. So, you know, fundamental life changes, but I'm excited to see how all that is going to go and looking forward to having like a basement and some studio space for better audio, better podcasting, you know, stuff like that. So it's it's all going to be good. I think it's going to be worth it in the long run. I'm just going to really miss New York. What sucks is that I cannot like I can't see the people I love before I go. 
Like mm. all my friends and all my people in New York, like I'm just kind of upping and going, and mm. that is not great. Wow. Uh, yeah, I there's didn't no even finality think about that. to this. That's such yeah. an interesting situation. Wow. Sorry, it's just man. like it is the ultimate Irish goodbye, I guess. Right? You're just <laughs> yeah. gone. Yeah. Um, are, are you? But uh, is it possible to have like socially distant? I guess it's. It'd be hard in New York. It's hard to even get places without a well, car. Well, I mean, right? the park, uh, Prospect Park, is right in front of me, and I, we go there every day in like clear spaces, and you know, to be far away from people. So you can have some meetups and just like have a picnic where everybody's sitting six feet apart. And I've done that a couple times, but it's my friends who are in other parts of New York who aren't like can't easily get to the park. Uh, can't do that very easily. Right, you can't, you can't even do a socially distanced gathering because uh, yeah. people are in a, in a place that they can't easily get to you, basically. Yeah, and nobody has cars. Like, the few people that do, I've seen, and I'll see some family before we go, but that's it. Yeah. Well, Devendra, uh, on behalf of uh, your other co-hosts on the podcast and everyone listening, um, we wish you the best in this big life transition during so what much. is a very I, challenging I hope time. nothing yeah. goes wrong. Like there yeah. are so many, there's so many pies, you know, so many plates being spun right now, but it <laughs> should be fine. You have pies? That sounds amazing. I have that pies. Uh, the pies are on the plates. And <laughs> I see. Oh like yeah. This is a really uh, strange Ice cream on here. the pies. It's all crazy. <laughs> and the ice cream is melting, man. Oh man. That's a lot to keep track of. Yeah. yeah. All, all of it sounds delicious. <laughs> it's all good. As long as Jeff, it doesn't come crashing down. I love this analogy. Jeff Kanata, how's everything in LA these days? Oh, uh, it's, it's. It just feels like we're cruising for that second wave. And, uh, you know, life has been pretty much the same for my family. Um, yeah, we're, you know, <laughs> trying to hunker down, trying to stay. We were trying to um, organize a trip to see my dad around his birthday, which is in August. And he and his wife are, you know, in the the prime um vulnerability category so um they were kind of expressing some concern about us even visiting and it's just making me sad that i might not i'm as i don't i can't tell you a summer of my life where i didn't see my parents in person yeah you know like yeah part of summer was going back and seeing my parents and i grew up boating um i grew up on the delta in the bay area and we grew up boating and so summer sports my dad has a pool in the backyard summer was like our family's time and my birthday is in august my dad's birthday is two days after mine in august and so it was always like the summer thing was to go back with the family my dad and his wife have had a tradition the last few years of having a really really big fourth of july party it just feels like the summer was the time to see my family and it it, it is looking increasingly like that's not going to happen so it's a little bit of a bummer and then, you know, yeah. I don't know, I'm sure many people listening to this know that I had some Twitter issues this week. I <laughs> what are you talking about, Jeff? I, uh, yeah. I did not see any of this. <laughs> we definitely don't you, need to go into it, but, it, you know, it, it, go ahead. Uh, let me just t tell you something that my wife once told me, and these words echo throughout my heart uh, on a regular basis. Um, she once said to me the following sentence, no tweet is ever worth it. <laughs> that, that is the whole thing. like and you're like you're worth what literally anything you could put in response to that yeah yeah is never is tweet. the correct answer yeah well i don't know you guys I'm, I'm really happy to be here on the show uh today because uh thousands of people who don't know who i am have informed me that i need to watch more movies so mm. that's mm. you know i feel like it's a good time to be here when we're here to watch movies 
Oh yeah, on the Slice Filmcast, where theoretically, we try it sometime. Yeah. <laughs> theoretically, these people on this podcast <laughs> know something about movies. But um, I'm sorry you've had a difficult week, Jeff. Um, but glad you're here today uh, and are here to educate yourself. Well, um, I would just so. just yeah, here to educate myself, and I appreciate you guys edu- educating me every week. Yes, but, um, we try, and I'm not even being facetious. I honestly do. <laughs> um, but I will also just just say. <laughs> and we can move off this topic completely, but I will just say, I'm sure a lot of the people listening are among those that sent me kind things this oh, week. Oh yeah, we got a lot of emails in support of Jeff Kanata this week. It was much appreciated, and yeah. uh, I am I am forever grateful for folks that actually do listen to what I have to say, uh, even when I sometimes say dumb things, or um, things that are misinterpreted, or what, what have you. I, I'm so grateful that people who know me... Uh, know the kind of person that I am and it means a lot that uh, so many people have been listening to me for so long and uh, will speak up when they feel like it, it their voice is uh, beneficial and it is and I appreciate it there's literally thousands of people listening right now at this moment to the, what you just said this whole conversation and have no idea what we're talking about yeah, and let me just say fine. to those people right now <laughs> that's fine you are better off yeah <laughs> like Don't let your you're, you're probably wondering win today. hey david <laughs> david you usually pro- provide so much context as to what's happening this time i'm just going to say you know you're better off yeah. you 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 have better things to fill your brain with than anything that we just discussed yeah so if I could have the hours of my life this weekend back <laughs> that I spent worrying about it, I wish I, I would. I would. Yeah. But. Just remember, Jeff, no tweet is ever worth it. Ever worth okay? it. You're, you, is ever worth you it. married a very wise woman, sir. Yes. Yes. Uh, well, uh, so a few things happening in Seattle. Obviously, uh, the protests against police brutality are something that continue to uh, be extremely relevant and prominent and visible throughout the nation. We had a massive. Uh, March in Seattle uh, last Friday, and it was extremely powerful to see the images online, uh, the videos online of just tens of thousands of people marching in silence uh, in solidarity uh, through Seattle. Uh, It's incredible to see, and I hope that people out there, everyone out there is making their own calculation of what they can do uh, to support the cause. And uh, and to support the, the things they're passionate about. And um, I hope that that's something that people continue to deliberate on as uh, the three of us continue to deliberate on these things. Um, I also, it's also been very odd because I don't know if you guys have heard of this thing called the CHAZ, uh, the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the CHAZ, uh, which is. No, <laughs> no, wow. uh, it has actually uh, been renamed recently to the CHOP. I think it used to be Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone. Now it is. Uh, Capitol Hill occupied protest, I believe, but essentially uh, the the uh, Seattle um, uh, there was a Seattle police precinct that vacated. They're just like they had clashed with protesters so many nights, and they're just like, you know what, we're gonna just completely abandon this space. And in its place, a bunch of protesters have set up a police-free autonomous zone in Capitol Hill, which is no more than seven miles from where I'm sitting right now as I'm recording this. <laughs> And this uh, is how the division happens. Basically. Well, I'll just say that it's um, I'll just say that uh, it, it has does, been. It does seem like the the only two things that were needed to create the division were a uh, people taking policing into their own hands and a pandemic. I mean, those are the yeah, two elements yeah. that really combine to create the division. Boy. Yeah, I mean, well, I'll, I'll just say, you know, I, I really do appreciate the comparison to the division of the video game. But I. 
the division, if you think about it, is like a really deeply fascist game, right? Oh, yeah, I mean, because those are a, official police. It's about secret police, yeah, who the government can activate uh, to put down <laughs> riots uh, in the event of a, a global pandemic or some other mass casualty or terrorism event. Uh, it's a terrifying idea. Anyway, it's terrifying. Uh, but real speaking fun. of. Speaking of things <laughs> and a ton of fun. Speaking of things that aren't terrifying, though, the Capitol Hill uh, Autonomous Zone. It's been fascinating to see people losing their collective shit about this online. And if you actually were to go, it is a very peaceful kind of situation. Uh, Fox News caught a ton of flack this week because they photoshopped uh, a guy with an assault rifle on two images of the Capitol <laughs> Autonomous Zone to they make it seem more dangerous. Different images. It's just. It's man. almost like a news organization <laughs> shouldn't have a Photoshop department. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Um, uh, anyway, I, I'm, I've been thinking of actually heading down there and shooting a vlog myself to just like. Uh, try to give people a better sense of what it is because there's just so much misinformation out there. But it's just, it's fascinating to see misinformation about something that you are fairly familiar with unfold in real time on the internet. Jeff, I'm sure you have no experience with that. <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, I, I would encourage people to, like, if you're reading sensationalistic claims about Chaz or Chop or whatever's going on, investigate further be skeptical of everything you read online there's tons of misinformation online and just like double triple check anything that you're putting out there um i think uh that is um that is a prudent thing to do in these extreme times that we're in so uh anyway in uh, in seattle it's it's uh it's weird i will say one other thing uh which is that when I go, when I, uh, I, I attended a protest recently, and also uh, I've been out in public uh, recently, and I would say ninety nine percent of people in Seattle are wearing a mask. Yeah, and I have just been so encouraged by that. And it just, it's a really powerful and deeply moving image just to see someone at a Black Lives Matter protest, or to see mm -hmm. a thousand people at a Black Lives Matter protest. All wearing masks. Yeah. Because not only are they obviously showing their solidarity with the Black Lives Matter movement, but they're also showing concern for their fellow person who's in the protest, yeah. you know? And, and, and it's so encouraging seeing all the data that's coming out about how masks work. They are useful, yeah. useful tool to prevent. Which, by the way, we should point out, like, is not the message that originally went out, you right. know? Um, and that's, like, I think we're still coming back from the damage of that. Um, it's yeah. a shame, like, it was our trusted sources in many cases. It was the CDC. It yeah, was, it was the uh, CDC that said the masks aren't going to yeah, help. Man. And now, you know, the masks do well, help. Also and the WHO, is, too. Like, yeah, they, yeah, they yeah. all, damn it, it's it's terrible. But you look at the uh, look at the results coming out of Japan right now, which is a country that was slow to lock down, but everybody masked up because that's what you do every winter yeah. whenever you get sick and it turns out it's pretty good yeah, yeah. like ju just the masks alone with no other measures would significantly help um yeah uh, but yeah in seattle simple thing to do it's so such simple. a simple thing to do and uh in seattle like i i see like anecdotally just a ton of people wearing these masks and then i go online <laughs> i look on twitter yeah. and i see like yeah. it, at new york i've seen the videos out of new york city divindra people just like 
Hey, Pretending like there's no pandemic happening right now. I do. Th- I do think it depends on where you are because I'm sure you could go to pockets of like hangout spots and maybe in Seattle where you see this. It is. It is crazy to see because I, when I walk around my neighborhood, which is right below Prospect Park, and even when I go into the park and be sure to like stay away from other people just to find like a little nook to sit in, um, everybody's masked up. Once you find your little spot, like in a corner, you know, away from people, like then you can mask off and just like talk with your, you know, the people you're actually, uh, I don't know, quarantining with. Um, you, it's good to see. Like to me, it's good to see. But yeah, what really is sad is that so many people uh, in other areas of New York, because New York is very big, just don't care. People don't care. It's like we've given up. It's like we've decided. Uh, I, I'm thinking of uh, the pancakes, pancakes, pancakes episode of review <laughs> where Forrest is just like I'm just I'm just tired of being married right I don't don't want to be married anymore and like that's the only reasoning because it doesn't make any sense uh people just don't want to pandemic anymore yeah I guess they're just tired of it yeah that's so, absolutely the case it feels yeah, like that's, people are just like it's done and there's no way there's going to be a second uh, second um lockdown lockdown oh, yeah there's man. no way people are just gonna be like no no yeah yeah. Let them um, die. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, let them eat COVID. Uh, I, yeah. I think it's going to be, yeah, it's it's going to be rough. But anyway, I, I'll just say in Seattle, uh, it has been encouraging to see it's people to see. care about yeah. their fellow man and woman um, by wearing the masks. And I hope that um, people out there are doing what they can to be considerate of other people who are in... Uh, you don't know what challenging situations people are in. You don't know who, who people know or interact with that are immunocompromised, and you should you know treat everyone with as much concern and care as possible. I'm shocked at how easily it has gone convincing my three and a half year old to wear a mask. I thought it would be a real struggle. And oh man, just tell them they're a superhero. Yeah, I, I heard that your your child is into PJ masks. Isn't that a come on? He actually has a PJ masks mask. Yeah. So, yes. So there you go. Um, yeah. But also, you know, uh, you tell your kid to wear a helmet when they ride a bike. It's no different. It's no right, different. Right, it just right. feels different to you because for you, it's a big change in the world. For the kid, they don't know. You told them to wear a helmet. You told them to wear a mask. It's all the same to them. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting. Uh, I do also want to point out that um, a lot of people were wondering if Christopher Nolan's Tenet would move from its original date of July 17th. Yeah, right? They're being really respectful of the pandemic right now, and uh, they are moving it, right? Yeah, it was pushed back two weeks to July 31st. Yeah, we'll be all set. Give us two weeks. <laughs> Warner Brothers also postponed Wonder Woman 1984 from August 14th to October 2nd. Um, yeah, so yeah. and then, uh, uh, yeah, so I, I guess I'm curious, will any, like, let's let's say movie theaters open um, with social distancing, right? I've seen, by the way, there's mandatory buffer seats now. Okay, for many theaters, right? So those right, of us right. who like buffer seats uh, are going to finally get our wish, of course, in the most monkey's paw-esque way possible. Uh, and th- there, there's mandatory buffer seats. I- I'm curious, if Tenet opens on July 31st, are you guys going to go? Like, do you guys feel comfortable going to see Tenet I would, you know, on July we 31st. talked about this before. Yeah. I would go at like a uh, very, very late, or very very early screening where there would be nobody because now we know a little more like in terms of like how much masks help and how much distancing actually helps. Uh, I would hope the theaters would also like kick in some air circulation, which is the thing that would really disperse those uh, droplets that just hang out in the air. Um, 
I would go to a very uncrowded screening if I could assure myself of that. I think the issue is there is going to be no enforcement of masks, right? right. Like, right. We, movie theaters couldn't even enforce people not being assholes in the pre-COVID era, right? So there's no way if someone comes in and is like, I'm not wearing a mask. No one, the 17-year-old person taking the tickets is not going to say, like, there's nothing they can do in they're that also situation. Not, right, right, right. They're not going to not sell them popcorn, right? Uh, uh, the popcorn. Right? Yeah, your whole popcorn. popcorn. Right? They're going to sell Jeez. people popcorn. And if they're selling people popcorn, no one's wearing a mask eating popcorn. Right? Right. Yeah. So I, I'm going to say that I'm still weighing it. This is a movie that I might consider going to see. Uh, I, I might consider risking my life to go to see. But no other movie this year. No <laughs> yeah, other no movie other this movie. year. Talk about yeah. putting pressure on a movie, you know? Wow. <laughs> I risk my I've also life heard to see I heard you. a rumor that this movie is like over three hours long as well. Yes. I have uh, heard that. I don't know. We do, do we know for this sure? Movie, right? This movie has an incubation period. <laughs> <laughs> I, do, I have not heard that. Uh, it's not confirmed yet, Devinger, as far as I know. Okay. By the way, speaking okay. of this, you know, Jeff, you were talking about your, your father earlier, and there's someone, uh, a former Slash Filmcast guest, who I, I will not reveal who they are because I don't have their permission to tell this story, but I will say that <laughs> Is it my uh, they recently went to go stay with their parents, and... Uh, it, to make that work, they quarantined for two weeks in their parents' basement. Oh, yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Which I thought I, was a very, it, it is a, 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 an act of children. love. <laughs> I'm sorry, what? what it you is say? an act of love, but it's untenable with children. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, that's oh, completely man. fair. That's completely fair. Yeah. It is, um, uh, I, I know several people who have done that, who've made the move back home. And because they're coming out of New York, you gotta, you gotta close yourself off for a bit. When we go to Georgia, I am basically gonna see my family at the airport. They're gonna, I'm gonna borrow a car. And they will not touch us. They will not be close to us. And we will wow. be in our new house for two weeks, uh, you know, as everything gets settled. Like, that's how it's going to go. I mean, it's the only way to do it safely. <laughs> there is a version of this, guys. I mean, not for me. Not for me, of course. But there is a version of this that feels like the perfect way. <laughs> the perfect thing. You get to be at your parents' house, rent-free, living off their dime, and you don't have to interact with them. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, mean, I guess not, if that's what you want from visiting your me, parents, Jeff. Not for me, but I'm just <laughs> yeah. saying there is potentially yeah. someone. Uh, the other thing yeah. is we should, since we're talking about delays and all this stuff, uh, the Academy Awards got delayed. It's true. That's it's kind true. of a big deal. And it seems like the Academy Awards got delayed not because people can't go sit in a room. It's because there's not enough movies to be nominated, right? Yeah. So well, the, there, there are a lot of movies coming out. I, I don't know. I don't know. There's still things hitting on demand, and it's like those are being considered, right? The things that would have hit theaters that have gone on demand will still be considered next year, as far as I know. So here is the statement from Academy President David Rubin and CEO Don Hudson. They said, quote, For over a century, movies have played an important role in comforting, inspiring, and entertaining us during the darkest of times. They certainly have this year. Our hope in extending the eligibility period and our awards date is to provide the flexibility filmmakers need to finish and release their films without being penalized for something beyond anyone's control. This coming Oscars and the opening of our new museum will mark an historic moment gathering movie fans around the world to unite through cinema, end quote. So they basically have pushed it by two months. They pushed it to April 25th of 2021, uh, which there's a lot of controversy over. You know, some people think that they shouldn't have pushed it. They should just like some people think that basically the reason they pushed it is because 
they don't want the Oscars to be taken over by all streaming movies, right? They they want it to to maintain the importance of the theatrical experience, and the only way they have any hope of doing that is by delaying it. Um, other people think that it's just delaying the inevitable, right? So uh, I we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, another thing to watch around this is what is going to happen with the uh, I'll just, let's just say hundreds of critics groups who all have awards around the same time. Um, are they going to also push, right? Or Yeah, it would be weird um, if there's a different eligibility period for correct, all these different right? awards. There might be different awards. Like some critics might give different awards to, like there, there's a different set of films that they have yeah. to consider, right? So that'll be interesting to see as well. Um, but Hollywood is continuing to try to adapt. And uh, as they adapt and as the world continues to uh, destruct, we will be here covering it on the Slash Filmcast. Like the oh. like the person writing the bomb in in that movie, you know. <laughs> I think Doctor Strange love yeah, is the word. Doctor Strange. That, that one movie, yeah. That one, that one movie. Jenny, it's what I said, guys. I need to see more movies. <laughs> if you're a cat owner like me, you probably love your cats and not so much the litter that you have to deal with. So I want to talk to you about Pretty Litter, which is convenient mail order smart cat litter. And it's smart in a way that's really interesting. It uses a proprietary formula to change colors to help detect signs of potential illnesses or anything like that, like urinary tract infections or kidney issues. And unlike a lot of other cat litters, it doesn't have any ingredients that could harm your cat's health. It's even pretty dust-free, which is a nice thing for the cats and humans alike. I also really enjoy the fact that it comes by mail, so I don't have to go trek out to a pet store and lug back a lot of litter. And it's pretty light, too, especially compared to clay litters. I honestly just love how useful Pretty Litter is. Uh, You kind of just have to go in and scoop out poop once in a while. Otherwise, you don't have to deal with it very much. It's all very light. Uh, It doesn't take much to store. It traps odor. It lasts pretty long, too. And there's not as much cleaning up as compared to a lot of other litters. So do what I did. Get the world's smartest cat litter without leaving home by visiting prettylitter.com and use promo code FILMCAST for 20% off your first order. That's prettylitter.com, promo code Filmcast for 20% off. PrettyLitter.com, promo code Filmcast. Let's move on to what we've been watching this week. I woke up, I think it was on Friday, to learn that Dave Chappelle had surprise dropped a comedy special. And I logged on to Netflix to go see it, and it was not there. And so then I searched some more, and I learned that it was on YouTube. And it occurred to me that it was recorded so recently. Like, it was recorded... In June, right? It was recorded in the last two weeks. And uh, it is difficult to deliver something like that to an online streaming service like Netflix in that short period of time. Like, there's a lot of things that go into delivery. And so it makes sense that, you know, it's a lot easier to drop something on Netflix. uh, I'm sorry, on YouTube than it is to put it on Netflix. So Dave Chappelle dropped a special called 846 on YouTube, uh, Netflix's YouTube channel. 8.46, uh, referring to the time uh, that George Floyd's uh, neck was knelt upon until he died. And it is, I would say this is, I don't actually think this is a comedy special. I think this is, this is more like a sermon in my opinion. And I don't say that in a disparaging way. I think it's very powerful and it's very raw. And it's Dave Chappelle who's been speaking out about these issues, issues of police brutality, um, for much of his career. Yeah. Uh, and it's him just kind of 
uh, riffing off of it, kind of delivering his raw, unfiltered thoughts on everything that's going on. Um, it's very powerful. I'd encourage people to watch it, but I, I maybe laughed once during this whole thing. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm saying that not to criticize it. I'm just letting people know uh, what to expect. You know, like don't go in expecting this to be another one of his like comedy specials. This is um, just him kind of delivering his raw, unfiltered thoughts about everything that's going on to the world. Um, but yeah, uh, it sounds like you guys watched it as well. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I saw it. I uh, I didn't jump to see it because I kind of had a sense of like how heavy and how deep it would be. But it, uh, you know, it's Dave Chappelle expressing his anger and his thoughts about the situation, and it's everything I'd expect from him. And I have not been so happy with some of his recent specials because it doesn't seem like he always values other lives or at least like his trans stuff i'm still not a fan of but when this guy is good when his social commentary is on point like it is here um you know there's there's nobody else like him i love it when he to see him back in form like this uh, jeff Kanad, do you have a chance to watch dave Chappelle's 846 not yet i am very much anticipating watching it i i'm looking forward to it but uh, i have not had a chance to watch it I think it's going to be interesting to see how Chappelle's public persona evolves as time goes on. There was an article I read a long time ago by Jesse David Fox over at Vulture.com. It was called, How Seriously Does Dave Chappelle Want to Be Taken? Mm. Um, and uh, you know, Ch Chappelle, in some of his recent comedy specials, has, has as you pointed out, Devinger, made a, a bunch of trans-related jokes that I think are going to age very poorly. And... There's a question of like, you know, not all comedians need to be serious commentators, right? Not all right, comedians right. need to be people who you take really seriously. They don't all need to be like Jon Stewart or anything like that, right? Like they, some comedians can just be, you know, oh, hey, they're they're provocateurs, you know, Ricky Gervais or whatever, right? Like <laughs> no one takes Ricky Gervais's opinion seriously on that much, as far as I can tell. No one in my life, at least. And... Uh, and the question is, how seriously does Dave Chappelle want to be taken? And my sense is pretty seriously. And if so, um, I'm just curious to see like how his material will evolve as time goes on. But in the meantime, in this extremely uh, important moment in uh, American history, I'm really glad that he kind of lent his voice to this movement. And I'd encourage people to check it out. Um, so it's Dave Chappelle's 846, available on YouTube right now. You've probably already seen it if you're listening to this podcast, but if you haven't yet, um, check it out. I had a chance to watch a show called Quiz. Have you guys heard of the show called Quiz? Mm -mm. Uh, I know what it's about. I have not seen it. But yeah. Uh, so Quiz is basically like the complete opposite of Dave Chappelle's 846 in the sense that it's almost exclusively about white people. And also... <laughs> Um, and it's like very light and, you know, breezy. And, uh, also like the fact that it is about white people is like part of the plot of the, of the, sh of the, um, of the show. Uh, quiz is about an attempt at, um, defrauding who wants to be a millionaire. It's a real story too. Based right? off of a true story. Yeah. This yeah. was a big deal in the UK. Yeah. It was a big deal in the UK, uh, that these, this, uh, couple, tried to basically pull a heist off of who wants to be a millionaire and is this a, a fictional show or i mean a, a it, sort of it, a it, dramatic show or a, a it's documentary? a yeah it's it's not a documentary it is a uh dr dramatization of mm. what happened in real life starring everybody's favorite matthew mcfadden by the way which matthew I, mcfadden I really aka tom wamscams yeah 
Um, and I, uh, I actually really enjoy the show. Jeff, I think you would actually like the show. Um, I'm intrigued. But yeah, it's uh, there are there are a lot of twists. There's a lot of uh, things I did not see coming, and it's it's uh, it's actually just really a delight. It's it's really satisfying to watch the show, and uh, it's also the a really good length. It's like three episodes, and that's it, and it's done. You know, oh, it, wow. it's three episodes. You're now in. I'm you're definitely out. Definitely in. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, there's no extended universe of people, but. But what I love about the show is, uh, and the part that I think Devinger would really appreciate is, it's about nerdy obsession. You know, mm-hmm. um, it's about these people who became super obsessed with who wants to be a millionaire and getting onto who wants to be a millionaire and like all the things they had to do to get onto who wants to be a millionaire. I'll just give one example. Like uh, in Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. You you uh you're in you either in the audience or you're in like this this row of people that do like the fast buttons where they'll be like put these things in you know alphabetical order you know uh and they'll give you four words and you need to put them in a certain order and and like whoever's fastest uh gets into the chair and there's people who like build a DIY version of that little button console and they'll like practice on it at home obsessively right <laughs> um, because they want nothing more than to be on the show. And ultimately, I think it's about that obsession. It's about um, what it means to love something that much, uh, and how much it can cost you. Um, so, I, I think it's uh, it's very interesting, and uh, it's based off a true story. And you can kind of compare it to the. It's you know one of those things where the minute the show is the thing is over, you're gonna like Google that thing and like spend an hour reading about what actually happened. Uh, so I enjoyed it. It's quiz. It aired on AMC, so if you have AMC's app or any of the DVR stuff, you can watch Quiz. And finally, I had a chance to see The Great, the new Hulu original series uh, that Jeff Kanata recommended. Jeff, did you finish season one? Oh, yes. Uh, Yeah, I I got about four or five episodes in, and uh, I'm really enjoying it. It's so good, right? It's very good. Uh, I will say that I watched The Great, and I I, I think The Great is very... um, uh, competent from a production standpoint, right? Like everything I see in the great is like, oh, the the costumes are excellent and excellent, the yeah. acting is excellent and the script is obviously great. It's Tony McNamara who did The Favorite. But I actually went back and rewatched The Favorite and it's just like, oh, that is such a distinctive right. look that that Nobody movie Nobody shoots a period movie like that. Yeah, Nobody shoots a period movie. It's yeah, a- he's using like fisheye lenses and shooting up at people and doing Which very I know you odd love, things. Jeff. Yeah. What? Uh, I remember you that loved me that. About that movie, actually. But yeah, I mean, uh, I, I definitely give it credit for being this very contemporary kind of avant-garde uh, stylized. Well, but visual. also the the thing that really struck me is uh, that the lighting in the favorite is almost all natural lighting, as far as I can tell. Like I, I watch the behind the scenes, and it's like they do use some supplemental lighting, so it's not just completely all natural. But like. A lot of the scenes at night are lit by candlelight or firelight, and a lot of the daytime scenes are all just natural light. And it's just there's a story that they told in the behind the scenes of like uh, Rachel Vice shows up uh, on the set and she's like, "Oh my gosh, this looks beautiful! Like, how are you going to light it?" And then Yorgos Lanthimos says, "It's lit," <laughs> you know, like, and uh, that is certainly not how they did 
the great on Hulu, right? The yeah, great is lit very conventionally. Right? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Certainly. But it, it also, I would say, for a television show, even in, in this the golden age of television, it looks like a very expensive show and yeah. one that the money is on the screen. It, it seems to me, uh, I, I don't know, I find it very beautiful. I think the, oh, yeah, the yeah. locations are really cool. The, the, the look and feel, the number of people that are in any given episode all bedecked in, you know... Uh, period garb that looks it looks exquisite it's it's i don't know I, I was impressed by the by the level of production in even this television show i'm uh, sorry i i think it's it's definitely coming across as though i'm slamming the great which is not you, what you i'm intending competent. on doing you said it was very yeah. competent production okay no fair I, enough. I feel like it, opulent is a better word above average yeah. how about yeah. above, above average you know <laughs> well no 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 slow down dave don't heap praise on it <laughs> several <laughs> several layers above average how about that but i think that um uh, what i'm trying to say is that the favorite is i, I wouldn't even say it's necessarily better than the great it's just distinct it's so distinctive in a way that the great is not and you know yorgos lanthimos is a true original right like there's just no one else that thinks like him you know mm. because who would light your movie almost completely naturalistically and then use fisheye lenses and shoot from low angles it just doesn't make any sense at all uh, but he did it and that's what makes the favorite i think so memorable from a visual perspective as well um whereas the great very 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 good in terms of its uh, its visuals and and production, but uh, just not as distinctive, not as singular, I would say. But okay, tonally, isn't it so fun? And I think the perform L L Fanning is. I think this is kind of her breakout moment for me. I've always appreciated her work and, and other things, but I feel like yeah. this is really she is a delight, unbelievable She's a delight like, in this a in this range show. of of talent that you haven't seen from her before. And she's funny. She's so charming. She's whip smart, and it just it it's a. I think it's a star turn for her. And and the rest of the cast is all. I think it's one of the best cast shows I've seen in a while. Uh, the the entire cast is so strong and so distinct. Like every single character is so distinct in my mind. Uh, and and I think that comes from great casting. Well, I also think it's very good. I think that just the thing that I was trying to comment on is like it's extremely similar material to The Favorite, right? And it's just fascinating to see two kind of different directors um, take on similar material mm -hmm. uh, and how different it is. So it's a, it's a very interesting comparison. But that's The Great. It's available right now on Hulu. All right. Uh, Devinger Hardware, what have you been watching this week? Yeah, a couple of things I'll mention real quick. Uh, I want to shout out uh, Insecure, season four of Insecure on HBO, just finished up. Uh, this is the Issa Rae show about her life uh, as a young professional in Los Angeles and her friends and, you know, her love life and everything. And I will say, um, if you liked The Lovebirds, and I know you did, Jeff. I did. Uh, go watch this show. It yeah. is right here. It's incredible. And... It is, yeah, I think it's doing really interesting things. Uh, there was a point where I was watching, I think Girls was towards the end of its run and Insecure had just started. And it was really interesting seeing like different friend groups and very different racially, you know, cast friend groups too, because Girls, very much a white show. And Insecure is a lot about the black experience in Los Angeles. And it was really interesting, like, going back and forth between those two. I think the show has matured into something really interesting. It's really fascinating exploration of friendship and especially of when like you have a best friend and you have a falling out and friends kind of break up 
this entire season is actually about the breakup and maybe the makeup of a friendship. And I found that really, really good and really fascinating. So it's a funny show. It's it's well done. It's super memorable. And I love everybody in it. So if you've loved The Lovebirds, check out Insecure. Just finished up season four. It's all very good. Insecure is streaming on HBO Max. Right, Devinder? Is that how you... Yeah, Are you watched well, it. <laughs> it's it's on it's on HBO Max. It's also on HBO if you've got that, but not on HBO Go because HBO Go is no mo. But now <laughs> HBO Now is called HBO. So go watch Insecure. Wow, <laughs> Devendra should do all of his reviews in beat poetry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I just everything Devendra just said is true. By the way, yeah, that, that was I not a joke. I also broke down the app. In for like the app layout of HBO right now, so man, yeah. Okay, what else have you been watching, Devendra? Other also, than insecure, another, yeah. another HBO show is "I May Destroy You," and this is the new Michaela Cole series about a young writer in London who she's kind of a party girl. She she you know she loves to hang out with her friends, and the entire show is about one crazy night that happens in the first episode where she blacks out and she does not know what happened to her. And the entire series is her trying to piece that together. And it's not not as big spoiler to say, like, it's in the trailer and the second episode gets into it. It's like she was most likely sexually assaulted during that, too. So it's sort of like her trying to piece together this night of her life. So it's a bit of a mystery show. Um, but it's funny, too. Like, I love Michaela Cole as a performer and as a creator. Uh, she did the show that I think it was for Netflix, or at least it aired on Netflix, uh, but it's called Chewing Gum, which was about a girl, um, kind of a a nebbish girl uh, with a very strict mom, but who was trying to lose her virginity and, you know, just going through life in London. And I love that show. It was so funny. And Michaela Cole also did this thing called uh, Black Earth Rising, which I talked about, uh, I think it was last year or a couple of years ago. That's a show co-starring John Goodman. And, you know, it's about the Rwandan genocide. It's such a very different thing, but it's a great drama, kind of a spy thriller at times, too. And at the center of all these things is Michaela Cole, who is just a tremendous, like, performer. She has such a presence on screen. I just love her energy. I'm really digging this show, and uh, I think it's really worth checking out. And by the way, if you started watching uh, Run, like a lot of people did, and enjoyed that show, uh, which... I have not seen a show go off the rails, literally, in so many ways, uh, you know, after a few episodes, as badly as Run has. Uh, you owe to yourselves to check out some of the other things HBO has going on. So Insecure and uh, I May Destroy You. Definitely worth checking out. I have heard I May Destroy You is excellent. So I'm actually so, really looking forward to checking it so out. Good. So yeah. that's I May Destroy You, again, all streaming on HBO yep. Max. HBO Max and HBO. And we're not going to do that whole thing again. <laughs> Devendra, what else have you been watching? One more thing is I wanted to really, uh, I binged Normal People over the last week. And this is the Hulu show based on the very popular novel, I believe. Um, and it is about, uh, it's about two sad Irish kids who <laughs> really love each other, but they don't, they don't know how to make it work. So I kind of, I kind of started this just on a lark just to see like what everybody was talking about. Right. And I think by the second episode, I was like, I was in it. I was in it for these kids because um, it's a really interesting sort of it, it's very novelistic in a way like it's a series that goes over many different time periods and it looks at these two people uh, Marianne and Connell 
in different parts of their lives and the things that keep drawing them back together. And I think the the heart of the show is the leads. And these two are incredible. Daisy Edgar Jones and Paul Mescal. This is Paul Mescal's first, uh, I think his first like major filmed role too. These performances are so raw and so naked and so like in many ways, because this is a very sexy show. And there's a lot of sexy times, uh, but it's also like emotionally naked, too, because what's really holding these two back is their inability to address their emotions and to see like to see what they really mean to each other. So there's a point like halfway through the series where like a simple misunderstanding uh, causes the entire relationship to fall apart. And it broke my heart because it's all about just a failure to communicate. And like these these poor kids, if they just learned how to speak to each other, maybe they could be happy. And to me, that is the driving force of the show. And I think the uh, the drama of the show really dives into that. And it does a lot about exploring their personalities. Uh, Connell is like this. Uh, we meet him as like a jockey guy in high school who may have like a deeper side. And Marianne is this girl, basically a rich loner girl, but a girl who's very smart, but just has no friends and everybody makes fun of her. So these two kind of getting together does not make sense Uh, to see their lives progress and to see their, you know, social situations change. I think it's all really fascinating. Definitely worth watching. Um, If you like the before, you know, if you before sunrise and set set series, if you like that, this will be catnip for you. And this is 12 episodes of that. I think more heartbreaking than those two, because those tended to be kind of optimistic, whereas this show doesn't. I I think for the vast running time, it, it is very much kind of realistic and sometimes pulling your heartstrings. And there's some there's some weird stuff going on, too. Like there's. There's like a weird BDSM subplot in the show, which I don't think works. It feels like some cheap, uh, you know, Fifty Shades of Grey stuff. But at the heart of it, these leads, uh, the core of the story works so well. It's definitely worth checking out. And I'm sure a lot of people have already seen it. I think you too, Dave and Jeff, you both will appreciate the show quite a bit. Just uh, be prepared for a lot of heartache. Mm. All right. Well, that's Normal People. And it's available right now on Hulu. And I've heard great things about it. I haven't wanted to take a dip into it because uh, there's enough heartbreak out in the world right now. But uh, everyone keeps telling me it's great. So we'll see. I'll say it's not just heartbreak, but it is a show that will inevitably break your heart along the way. Yeah. Great. Great. Sounds awesome. (laughs) It's great. It's what we need right now. Come on. Sounds above average. (laughs) Sounds competent. On that note, let me tell you about our sponsor for this episode, Lightstream. Hey, do you carry a balance on your credit card? I do not. I hate the idea of paying more for something than I need to. All those cards come with high interest rates. If you're carrying a balance on a card with a high interest rate, you have to check out Lightstream. Lightstream can help you lower your interest rate and save money with a credit card consolidation loan. You can quickly roll balances from multiple credit cards into one single monthly loan payment. You can get a rate as low as 5.95% APR with auto pay and no fees. That's key. Don't let them nickel and dime you with those fees. Uh, the application is 100% online. You don't have to leave home to apply. Plus, you get your money as soon as the day you apply. Lightstream believes that people with good credit deserve a better loan experience, and that's exactly what they deliver. And just for 
slash filmcast listeners. If you apply now, you can get an additional interest rate discount to save even more. And the only way to get this discount is to go to lightstream.com slash filmcast. That's lightstream.com slash the word filmcast for an additional discount. L-I-G-H-T-S-T-R-E-A-M dot com slash F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T. Subject to credit approval, rate includes a 0.50% auto pay discount. Terms and conditions apply and offers are subject to change without notice. Visit lightstream.com slash filmcast for more information. Let's move on to what Jeff Kanata's been watching. Jeff, what are you watching? I had a chance to watch the new Hannah Gadsby special, a stand-up comedy special called Douglas. Uh, have you guys had a chance to see this yet? Not yet, no. I'm looking forward to it. Of course, Hannah Gadsby made a big splash with Nanette. Uh, she jokes about it in this special, too. Her, uh, you know, her debut album, which just happens to be her 10th special, you know, 10th hour. She's been doing this a long, long time, but she hasn't reached this sort of transcendent level of notoriety that she did with Nanette. I think we talked about Nanette on this show when it hit Netflix. I don't know however many years ago that was, two or three. Um, it is truly a breathtaking work of art i love it and you know she talks very honestly in the context of this second special about how this very much is a sophomore album you know that sophomore slump people talk about with the second album after somebody just discovers this great work um even though as i said she's been doing this for a long long time and it's actually her 10th or whatever uh, special or hour of comedy um but i will say douglas in my opinion absolutely reinforces her genius and her ability to do things in the stand-up comedy medium that no one else is doing. Uh, Nanette is a really um, honest and powerful expression of, of, you know, her identity and and who she is and how she's processing it. And uh, this continues that, but does it in a completely different way. It's really not trying to tread the same ground. It's not even trying to sort of live in the same place tonally as Nanette, which I think could have been a trap to feel like she had to sort of become this, if this is what people loved about her, uh, to become, you know, sort of Nanette part two or whatever. But Douglas, her, her new special is extraordinary it's very funny it's really powerful it has a lot to say it ha- it takes positions but it does something i've never seen any stand up comedy special do or any the, the stand up comedy form do and that is it time travels she uses time travel in stand up comedy and the reason i say that is because <laughs> at the beginning of the special the first thing she does is she starts talking and she's she says this isn't the show but I'm going to tell you about the show. I'm going to set your expectations for the show. And she proceeds to explain everything that's going to happen in the show, including how you are going to react to hearing it when she says it. And then it's long. It's like a 20 minute long preamble explaining, spoiling her own show, basically explaining all the things, explaining what jokes she's going to tell, in what order things are going to come, how it's all going to land, what you're going to think when you say it, how you're going to forget some of the stuff that she told you to remember. It's amazing. And then, of course, all of the things she said turn out to be completely true and accurate because she's really, really good at what she does. Um, 
And that experience of feeling like, you know, it's, it's, it's the experience, same experience of watching something like back to the future where you're like, Oh yeah, that thing happened. I remember when that thing happened, you know, it's, it's really cool. It's like time travel in the context of stand-up comedy and it's super clever and it works to great effect. In my opinion, I, I loved it. I was laughing a lot throughout, but it's also extremely powerful. She touches on autism and some really powerful topics. And uh, I, I cannot recommend this higher. I think if you've never heard of Hannah Gadsby before hearing me say this, you should watch Nanette first. It's extraordinary. Mm-hmm. It's on Netflix. But uh, Douglas is, I think, a worthy successor and, and a worthy work on its own, independent of Nanette, although she references Nanette quite a, a lot in it. Yeah. I have to ask you, Jeff, how, how long was that whole preview thing she gave you? It's like, like 20 minutes. It's like 20 it's like that it's an hour long wow. special. The special is basically like an hour and 15 minutes and the and it's a very long and she goes, "Okay, okay." And now he, now this isn't the show and then she goes, "Okay, now the show is going to start." And then they do like music to start the show. But she's been talking to you for 20 minutes. You know, it's it's really clever and it's so expertly done and um effective and I've never seen anybody do it do that it's basically like it's kind of like what Penn and Teller do you know yeah, it's yeah. it's like she's calling de- her shots yeah yeah she's like deconstructing the magic trick in front of you <laughs> you know it's really cool that, that is cool but I also have to I'm thinking to myself man this sounds like uh, she gave you a trailer for her set Jeff <laughs> and you seem to love it well mm. a little different mm. I, I see what, I see your point but <laughs> I, it was a little different it was it was part of her the, the whole point was this thing is going to happen and this is that like that the the idea of referencing the trailer throughout was part of the point of her show so it's not exactly (laughs) the same in my opinion but i i take your point all right well that is hannah gadsby's douglas it's available right now on netflix jeff canada what else have been watching well I think you guys remember me talking, actually all of us talked uh, about uh, The Last Dance on ESPN and yeah. how much I loved that show and how much it sort of felt like a, uh, I don't know, like a a nice tonic at the end of an, uh, the evening. For me, that's kind of how I used The Last Dance was to just sort of be transported back in time and talk about time travel, to be transported back to the 90s and just sort of like the idea of watching that documentary healed me a little bit in these in these rough times just sort of being transported into another place and kind of living through sports and excellence in sports i it was a an experience i treasured and it was an experience that i have now come to have a, a hole in my uh, viewing for you know I, I it's hard to find something that's quite like that but i think i have uh well first first of all jeff i think you should check out b water Oh yeah, ESPN, I do need to watch that. I the Bruce Lee that. documentary, but yeah. okay. I mean, that's but that, that me, is that only one. Like, it's only a movie. It's not ten episode series. It's so. also a little on the nose. It's like the next thing that ESPN is telling. It's like literally ESPN replacing themselves. And I'm like, yeah, okay, a little on the nose. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. Um, I do need to watch Be Water. I, you know, I loved. Do you guys ever watch? I think it was called something something dragon the 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 biopic of bruce dragon lee? the mm-hmm. bruce lee story yes yeah. oh dude that came out when i was working at the movie theater and i must have watched that movie 400 times yeah uh, i yeah. love it's, that it's movie good so man much. it's a good movie you, directed by say, rob cohen of yeah the rob cohen theory. yes yeah. oh that movie's amazing who, uh, who has been canceled since but yeah <laughs> no, that's that was a fun movie. yeah well even when you say 
the title of Be Water, I hear the actor from that biopic saying that line in the movie. Mm. Yeah, Be yeah. Water. It's so great. Um, anyway, what I have used to fill that void in my viewing habit is uh, a documentary about wrestling. Yes, that's right, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I, you know, I talk about wrestling sometimes, uh, usually around WrestleMania. But they're, the WWE channel, um, which I subscribe to, is doing a documentary series called The Last Ride. So I went from The Last Dance to The Last Ride. This is a documentary about The Undertaker uh, and how, if anybody, I would imagine people who haven't even, don't even follow wrestling and barely care about wrestling have also still heard of the Undertaker. This is a character that has been in the WWE for 25 years, maybe 30 years. Uh, and he has probably one of the longest lasting, most enduring careers of any, any character. And it turns out the guy who plays the Undertaker uh, is very well respected in the industry, loved by everybody almost universally. It is a fascinating character fascinating person in his own right and this documentary series that is currently airing on the wwe network really provides sort of um unprecedented backstage access to years of his life as he's wrestling (laughs) pun uh surprised me uh wrestling wrestling with his own uh, decisions about whether to retire or not. And, and, uh, and it is in the way that the Jordan documentary, the, the bulls documentary was sort of about excellence. I do think this is also about excellence. It's about an individual who has a very high standard for himself and is pushing up against the restrictions of his own physiology, his own aging, his own body, and, uh, trying to decide whether or not he's still able to deliver the kind of entertainment that people expect. And you really see the, brutality of that job and what it what goes into even wrestling once a year which basically is what he did for many years um and uh i highly recommend it i I find it compelling it's interesting it's fascinating if you care at all about wrestling you get to see a lot of juicy behind the scenes there's interviews with tons of people and everybody's breaking kayfabe right so they're all talking honestly there's no attempt to maintain kayfabe which is the sort of Uh, yeah, what is it? Can you explain what uh, kayfabe is? Yeah, it's it's a slang term that wrestling industry has used for many many years to talk about that sort of uh, the lie, the 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 fiction of the world. And for many years, none of the wrestlers broke kayfabe, which meant they didn't they weren't ever out of character in public. They weren't ever allowed. If you had a, you know, if you were friends with a guy, but your characters were fighting. You never admitted you were friends with the you guy. You could not right? hang hang out with him at you know Publicly. Dave and Buster's. Exactly. They, it yeah. was it was the the fiction of what was going on was the truth as far as anyone else could see. Uh, but this is you know this is a kind of a new era, and they really are, you know acknowledge that the Undertaker is a character. Acknowledge that these all these people are putting on things, but they show um, uh, him. They show wrestlers embracing and hanging out moments before they get in the ring and stare each other down and push each other and insult each other right it's it's really an unfettered behind the scenes uh, look and I, I love it i mean i i the reason i like wrestling is because i like the industry of it the behind the scenes is fascinating to me so this was sort of catnip and um 
I think it's really, really well made. The WWE has extraordinary editors and production staff, like their packages that they put together, their, you know, um, video story clip things have always been top notch. And this is an example of how that company can really tell a story that isn't a live event. It's it's really good, I think. So that's the last ride. And how did you watch it, Jeff? It's on the WWE channel it's an app it's a you know you you pay 10 bucks a month and you get the i think a lot of that content is now being uh made available for free i don't know if the last ride is part of that content but i know that they have allowed uh for the first time just like a week or two ago they made the wwe channel free for many people everybody i guess you know who i would be interested in watching a documentary about like in the same vein as what you described Hmm. uh it would be jackie chan um, oh, yeah. just oh, a, as a guy yeah. who has broken virtually every bone in his body, but you'd have to go back in time to have a film crew follow him around it yeah. when he was doing that. Right? You wouldn't, couldn't make it now, right? There, well, there's it, must be it, tons of behind. Yeah, the there's so much footage. Like, I have you seen all true. the outtakes? Well, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. oh, I have. That's the best part of those movies. But I feel <laughs> yeah. like that's we've all seen all that stuff. I mean, maybe but there's he, more. He, he was in movies. Like, he was there. There's likely footage of him training when he yeah. was younger because he was. It, that's all he did. Like the the poor guy didn't. He did acrobatics. Like, yeah, since he, was, he a was a child. Circus you know, circus trainer, right? He went to circus. Uh, yeah, Chinese circus um, school. Basically, what what all the martial artists did. Yeah, I'm yeah. I'm he, just uh, how yeah. Is, it's just how has nobody made that movie yet? It's it, yep. it is odd, and also like, but you've seen you know as in recent years he's kind of transitioned into. Um, like I, I've watched his recent stuff, right? The new police story, um, the four, I think it's called the foreigner. Was that the new movie he was in? Yep. yep. You know, I mean, you and new, it's just, it's um, that, wasn't that like five years ago? That was in 2017. So it was not, mm-hmm. not that long ago. Um, mm-hmm. but it's ago. just, uh, you know, he's still very good, very talented, but it's just not quite the same. Like the stunts are not as I mean, intense as they were. Yeah, you... I know. I know. But that's what I'm saying is like, is yeah. like, I, I'm curious how he thinks about it. Like, why does he even continue to do it at all you know what i'm saying like versus just like hey hanging it up you know like uh i i'd love to get insight as to into his his psyche about that so i completely agree i think that's a Mm -hmm. subject that would be amazing for a documentary if you could get never before i'd seen footage even better if it felt like the the last dance that'd be amazing the the last ride I think the difference there is that li- they set out to make a documentary and they followed him around right. for three years with a camera crew, right? So that was like, yeah, yeah. it wasn't going back through old footage. It was constructing new footage. So, mm-hmm. yeah. All right. Uh, Jeff, anything else we want? One real quick thing. We're talking about HBO Max. Uh, it's not easy to find. You have to dig. The only reason I found it was because somebody tipped me off that it existed. But the original Rankin and Bass Hobbit is available on HBO Max. And I did not, I rushed when I found that to be true. Uh, I rushed to watch uh, it again because I hadn't seen it in far too long. I hadn't probably seen it since I watched it on VHS at some point. Um, and it, this is a a beautiful, uh, well, I don't know. I mean, I guess it's as beautiful. It's more beautiful than I remember it because I remember it on a <laughs> crappy VHS tape that I recorded from whatever, you know. More be- More beautiful than Peter Jackson's Hobbit. How about that? yeah maybe uh but that that was the first exposure i ever had to fantasy storytelling in any medium really Uh, i mean my dad handed me the hobbit books when i was a kid but then watching the rankin and bass like that's how i visualized 
wizards and hobbits and orcs and all that like those drawings those very thin lines the way that Rankin and Bass Hobbit looks it is indelibly marked in my head not to mention the music the music is so good it is so good um and the voices I mean John Houston as Gandalf it's it's extraordinary so I was really a joy to revisit it and it, you, you, I realize how fast everything happens in because it's like 112 or uh, yeah, yeah 112 minutes or something it's like so or not even 100 it's like an hour 12 minutes something anyway it's it's short and um everything is super compressed and you know it's 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 as a child i didn't have any sense of that but revisiting it has been really interesting i, I love it and i recommend anybody watch the hobbit on hbo max all right that is what we have been watching this week before we get to uh, the review of the King of Staten Island. Um, I do want to do want to mention a couple of things. One is that uh, people have asked us if we are going to be discussing the Five Bloods, which is Spike Lee's new movie on Netflix. Uh, spoiler for the end of the episode that uh, that is going to be our review for next week. So you oh, yeah. can look forward to that uh, on next week's episode of the Slash Filmcast. But I had a chance to watch it. Devinger had a chance to watch it, um, and I'm looking forward to discussing it as our main review on next week's episode of the Slash Filmcast. Uh, also wanted to say uh, thanks to the people who donated to the podcast this week. Thanks to Brian. No, I'm sorry. Uh, yes. Brian Lute, uh, who donated and said, thanks for all the great podcasts. And he also says, uh, David Chen, you have to watch Firefly. Um, and I think he donated for that cause. So now I'm starting to feel real guilty about that. Uh, now you are. Now you are. Yeah, now <laughs> yeah. he's guilty. Now, now I am. Uh Robert Maxwell and Nicholas Redmond, thanks so much for your donations. Thanks also to new subscribers at the rate of $2 a month, Matthew Davis. Um, if you want to support the podcast, throw some cash our way. Uh, go to paypal.me slash filmcast. That's paypal.me slash the word filmcast. You can also go to slash film.com. Click on the slash filmcast tab. Use the PayPal links on the side of the page. Never donate if it in any way causes you hardship or if it takes away from other causes that you think to be uh, extremely valuable, especially in this day and age. But if you want to throw some cash away, those are the ways to do it. PayPal.me slash the word filmcast. Um, and uh, also, if you want to support the show for free, super easy way to do that. Just go to Apple Podcasts and uh, give us a star rating. Just takes a few seconds or leave a review for us. It's really appreciated. Let's get to our review of The King of Staten Island. I like your tattoos. What are those numbers on your arm? Oh, that's uh, the date my dad died. He was a fireman. Died in a fire 17 years ago. Oh my God, I'm so sorry. Don't be, it's fine. Knock, knock. Who's there? Not your dad. <laughs> you can't focus on Scott anymore, honey. He's 24 years old, Marjorie. Let that fucking bird fly, please. Don't worry, Mom. I know your daughter got smart and went to college and abandoned us. But I'm still here. I'm gonna be here forever. Yeah. I want to become a real tattoo artist. Your work is mad and consistent. Obama ain't right. Oh, I love your tattoos. This is my favorite. I've been dating someone for a little while now. The first guy you date in 17 years is a fireman just like that? You don't think that's weird? You're going to have to pull your weight a little more around here. Maybe help Ray get his kids to school. Kelly, do you know him? He's a new friend. You okay? You know, you could tell me. I'm okay. Oh, I trained her in the car. She's not going to break. That was from the trailer for The King of Staten Island, the new film by uh, Judd Apatow. I'm going to read the plot summary from IMDb. Scott has been a case of arrest development since his firefighter dad died. 
He spends his day smoking weed and dreaming of being a tattoo artist until events force him to grapple with his grief and take his first steps forward in life. End quote. Um, before we start today, I- I'm just going to say that this movie doesn't have a lot of plot. Like, not much happens in this movie. And so I don't know that we're going to have, like, an official spoiler section for this review. Right. Uh, I-, I think, you know, th- it's possible we might mention an event or two towards the end of this movie. I think it's very hard to spoil this movie, to be honest. But if you are trying to stay away from any plot points around the King of Staten Island then uh, maybe best uh, pause this review, come back after you've seen the movie. That being said, again, I really, I think it's very hard to spoil. Not much happens, but like we will be talking about some of the few plot details that do transpire. Okay. Devendra Hardor, what did you think of The King of Staten Island? You know, I'm still trying to wrap my head around this movie because uh, <laughs> as you explained, not much actually happens. But the more I think about it, and by the way, I'm not a huge Pete Davidson fan either, right? Like, it's, uh, I get his shtick and I like him on SNL sometimes, but, uh, there is, there are definitely some people who genuinely love him and fall, you know, fall all over him. Uh, I, I think he's good. I, I don't know how interesting he is as a, I don't know, as a subject. But what was interesting to me is that this movie is basically taking the Apatow, like, um, you know, the the sort of, yeah, the arrested development guy who just doesn't know what to do with his life. Uh, but there's a tinge of grief to it because that's kind of the heart of this movie. So it is funny at times, but I think it's a genuinely good drama, too, about somebody processing grief or actually not processing grief and the, you know, the kind of problems that could lead to in your life and how it could affect everybody around you. Um, so I'm more into this movie for not so much Pete Davidson, but for everybody around him. I like, uh, Belle Powley, who plays his, uh, sort of girlfriend. Um, Marissa Tomei is amazing as her, as his mom and, uh, Bill Burr, who, somebody who I also don't really appreciate that much, I think really worked for me in this movie because of his character and kind of the, uh, the turns he takes in terms of how he relates to uh pete davidson's family so yeah i'm really digging it um to me it's really interesting to see what apatow is focusing on now because it used to be just the raunchy comedies with like uh, a bit of heart to it and now he's leaning more on drama in many ways and uh yeah this is better than uh this is 40 i think this is better than uh what was the uh funny adam sandler one funny people yeah which I know a lot of people like. I just don't. That movie was so insufferable to me. This one's at least about, you know, a guy who seems relatable. He seems like that buddy so many of us have had who may still be living in the town you grew up in, uh, you know, who can't quite get out. Uh, As that exploration, I think it's fascinating. It's just not a I don't think it's a movie I'm going to be revisiting a lot. But it does have me thinking a lot more than uh, some of Apatow's other stuff. Like as much as we love Superbad. That movie has not aged very well, uh, looking at it today. Um, so, yeah, I feel like this one will at least have a longer-lasting value. Jeff Kanata, your thoughts on The King of Staten Island? Well, Dave, <laughs> I guess you could say that my thoughts about The King of Staten Island are best summed up in the form of a limerick. Ooh, fancy that. Most Apatow movies are strong. So how did this one go so wrong? <laughs> I don't know the culprits, but man, it don't help. It's 136 minutes long. 
<laughs> well, I'm just gonna say rhyming culprit with help it. Help it. That's You're like welcome. that's wow. like Eminem level <laughs> rhyming right there. Just about just to gonna, lose himself over here. Gonna put that. Yeah. Just gonna put that out there. Okay. Night, I mean, bravo, I'm gonna, Jeff. I'm gonna tattoo that on my chest, David. The that's audacity. A, a you just equated me to Eminem. I mean, I yeah. I'll the audacity it, I'll of that rhyme. I, I'm, I need to. I need a little bit of time to get over that. Okay. Anyway, go ahead. Uh, I agree with the first sentence that Devendra said, which is I still wrapping my head around this movie. <laughs> Everything else he said, I kind of don't agree with. I. I I'm one of those people that really, really liked This Is 40 and Funny People. I oh, understand wow, okay. why people don't like those movies. You're but one of those people. I yeah. really like those movies. <laughs> I really do. Um, and I'm, I'm, I seem to be always down for an Abitau joint. Uh, but man, this movie is long. And as Dave said, not much happens. And yeah. it really it feels long. It, it feels is long. long. It's two hours so and many of his 16 movies, minutes. His movies are typically long, too, like normal, like longer than most comedies. But this one feels it more than any yeah. of others. And, it, you know, it, this movie lives in that Apatow place, which is sort of funny, but also it's a dramedy, right? It's it. It it wants to talk about real stuff, but it kind of wants to be tongue in cheek. And you want to laugh with these characters and kind of think they're cool and funny, but also feel for them. None at none at no point did any of it work ever, ever at any point. Uh, oh I think wow! So it was a total loss for you. It really was, and I feel bad. I mean, I I kind of root for Pete Davidson. I know this is a very autobiographical very, thing. Yeah, very personal movie, and, right? And so it almost feels bad to criticize it. Um, but, but you're gonna do it anyway. Well, I just I <laughs> I, I I think the I mean I think the guy is. Yeah, I don't even know what to say. I, I, I think the guy is is talented in in some respects. And I, that's so that's so horrible to say. He's a talented <laughs> guy, but he in this movie, I just I at no point did I want to hang out with this character. I never at no point. I mean, the movie starts the first scene is like I don't want to hang. Oh yeah, any he, of these he's people. a garbage person, and, and he, he's a garbage scene. person throughout. Like it, I mean, yeah. obviously, it's a redemption tale. And it's a finding himself, and and there are good reasons for him to be a garbage person, but it is, it is really just so he's just so he's Beavis and Butthead come to life, right? If if <laughs> if Beavis and Butthead were sort of grounded in reality, it would right. be this guy. And I I don't know, I just it, it never I never wanted to be with this movie, and this movie asks you to be with it for a long time, you know, and. Yeah. Um, Jeffy, it sounds like you didn't have many Stoner friends growing up, so I don't well, know. I'm a, I was a nerd and a square, so yes, <laughs> I, ne I never did drugs, <laughs> and I never, you know, I I didn't have a drink of alcohol until my 18th birthday. I, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I was a nerd. I was a real nerd. <laughs> uh, so maybe I just didn't relate to this kind of mentality. Uh, maybe that's just, maybe it's just over my head, and that's fair. Maybe this just isn't for me. But uh, I've enjoyed Apatow movies, and I, I enjoy his sort of semi-autobiographical kind of like get to the heart of who the right. artist is. Like, I think his M.O. is take a comedic persona, a, a, a mm -hmm. comedic um, talent, and have them write until they get to the heart of really who they are. I mean, mm. he, yeah. he, yeah. he uh, encouraged Kumail and Emily to write 
their movie and be, and and make it really personal and he's I think that's his whole thing is like write mm-hmm. something super personal to start. Um what was um oh the a train wreck. Train wreck. Train, right. Another yeah, great yeah. example. Yes. And so I, he, I he's clearly, great at nurturing comedic talent, yeah, like, and, and that, that cannot think, be understated. This is what he's doing here, right? It, it it does feel like this autobiographical, write what you know for Davison, but I, I don't know. I just it doesn't have any of the kind of zip or life to it. It it mm-hmm. it feels flat and and plodding throughout for me. And there isn't enough fun. There are mo- almost everything that happens. I'm like, I do, do not do that. No, that's a bad idea for every character. Right. <laughs> and, um, so I don't know. I, I, I just couldn't get into it. I didn't find it fun or funny. And, uh, I was very disappointed by it to be quite honest. Mm. You know, Jeff, I'm reminded, I was reminded actually of something you said a few years ago on the podcast, uh, when I was watching this movie, um, Every now and then you guys say something, you drop a, a piece of knowledge on this podcast that sticks with me for years. And uh, something you said, Jeff, I think it was four years ago when we reviewed the Richard Linklater movie, Everybody Wants Some. I'm going <laughs> to do a bad like. job of paraphrasing this. <laughs> uh, but you essentially said like that these aren't necessarily folks that you would want to hang out with, right, in that movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then uh, I said, you know, like, well, I don't know that it needs to be a prerequisite. This is how I remember. It might actually have been different in real life. But I, I think I said something like, well, um, I don't know that you need to, like, want to hang out with the protagonist right. in your movie. And then you said right. something like, well, that's true, but uh, in general, you are doing more than just hanging out with them in a movie, right? <laughs> Um, that, that basically that's all you're doing in that movie is you're hanging out with these characters and nothing else. Right. Right. And, um, and that's kind of true to this movie as well. You know, like there, there is some plot, some things happen, um, events as described in the IMDb description. (laughs) The the Um, barest of like character growth, I guess. Like there, there are things that certainly happen, but I I did think to myself by the end of this movie is like, wait, (laughs) is what? (laughs) <laughs> what is he doing? What's yeah. he going to do with his life? I guess he feels better about himself, but literally nothing like his life path is still, he's you know, still a pretty giant dick at the end. Question. You know, he's still yeah. a massive. A-hole. Well, at least, at least he can support his lady friend better. Yeah, and that's, I guess. that's so, the end of the movie. He, I, I think I'm surprised. Neither of you have brought this up, but uh-huh. uh, I think this is the wrong movie for the moment that we're in right now, right? <laughs> <laughs> Which is... Uh, yeah, probably. Uh, the, the, the plight of a uh, man-child in a yeah. state of arrest development is not a story that I'm very sympathetic with at this moment. Well, and also his his way out, uh, his his salvation lies in a sort of fraternal uh, toxic masculinity that's, that's uh, you know, it's really kind of inappropriate right now as well. I mean, the, the so firefighters are great. I, I, Jeff, the, Jeff, nobody hates firefighters. It's uh, it's the other folks. No, I know, I'm not saying firefighters are, uh, I'm not indicting firefighters at all. I'm saying that sort of like, the thing that's so charming about all these guys is that they fucking shoot each other with water hoses and fuck each other over. <laughs> it's like yeah. so the pranks, the pranks. Simple everybody. fun, simple fun. I'm just like, uh, okay, okay. <laughs> I, I, I did think, like, man, you guys are just really getting that couch wet and that bed. <laughs> Somebody has to use you're, you're, that. Yeah, you're hurting your own. The couch is like permanently soggy at this <laughs> point. Poor couch. Um. So, yeah, I think that this movie rises and falls based on what you, the viewer, 
feel mm-hmm. about Pete Davidson's level of charm, right? Sure. If sure. you think Pete Davidson is awesome, you can't get enough of this guy, you love seeing him, you would watch him read the phone book, you're going to really like this movie, I think. I think that you will you'll you'll find it genuinely um intriguing and funny and heartfelt and touching. Um but if you like me are rather immune to the charms of Pete Davidson, <laughs> then uh this movie has nothing for you and I'm trying to think like what is it about this movie that didn't speak to me in the same way that like 40-year-old virgin or even knocked up or trainwreck spoke to me? And it's just because I couldn't connect with the protagonist, right? Yeah. I couldn't yeah. sympathize yeah. with the protagonist. Um, and I also, I will say that I think the protagonist in this film is, I want to say, uh, less sympathetic than he is in some of the other properties. Oh, yeah. Like, His mom is a saint, basically. Well, and also, like, I so think the argument stuff. could very plausibly be made that she is by far the most interesting character in the movie, right? Yeah. Or <laughs> yes. like that, that I, I could imagine a version of this movie where she is the protagonist and the movie being far more interesting. Yes, um, the, the moment where she decides that both of them are fucking worthless is like, I feel like that's <laughs> that's the triumph moment. That it's like, sh- that yes. should yeah. be the it building yeah. up to that moment. The movie <laughs> yes. builds up to that moment, right? And that's a, that's a, that's a big problem with the movie if you're this character who's sidelined is like actually arguably more interesting than the protagonist or more more sympathetic and interesting than the protagonist and um and so that's that's the biggest problem for me with this movie is his character is just so unlikable and uh you know again i, I just think like okay well I'm, I'm i'm rewinding in my brain i'm going back in time like okay you know Adam Sandler um, in in Funny People, Amy Schumer in Trainwreck, oh, yeah. Seth Rogen look, look knocked his, up. Like why why did TV I li- stuff by the way too? Like let's not count out. Like no matter how you feel about Lena Dunham, I think he did a great job of you know crafting her voice with girls and also uh, crashing and also yeah. the Netflix series Love and like he right. does a great job of finding these talents and yeah like you and, guys are saying right, he's right, such right. A accentuating yeah. what's personal about them what makes that what is essentially them and i think mm-hmm. he's attempting to do that with pete davidson but man i yeah there's like a, davidson's sort of um even his saturday night live presence is this sort of like constantly smirking kind yeah. of feeling like he's getting away with something like he shouldn't be here right now but everybody is he's pulled one over on everyone and he's kind of uh you know very self-effacing which is which is sort of charming in some cases but in the context of this movie i kind of felt that like that smirk <laughs> like it, it just it made i don't know it never felt it, i guess it's a in a lot of ways it's this sort of ironic generational thing where like the irony is never not present like he's yeah. always ironic, even in the most heartfelt moments. And I think that ultimately is one of the things that makes the older characters in this movie bounce off of him. You know, that like, just what the fuck is wrong with you? But it, like, it, and <laughs> but it, also but, the young, the younger people too. I think like he is stuck, not just, not just in his development, but like he does not ex- like he doesn't have a place in this world too. Because even the people he grew up with are trying to do different things. Yeah. Yeah, he yeah, does so, a character uh, on Saturday Night Live where uh-huh. that's kind of fun, I think is funny. I don't know if it's funny where, he, you know, people are saying things to him and he goes, OK, OK. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. It's like that character got its own movie. <laughs> 
You know I, what I'm saying? Uh, yeah. I, the, the, so the point I was trying to make earlier was I was trying to think like, why is it that this movie doesn't work for me, and all these other Jedi Apatow movies have worked? Yeah. Right? Like, what what is it about this movie? And I'm thinking, and I just think like, I, I do think it comes down to I think the protagonist is not as sympathetic. I think he's mm-hmm. not as charming. I think he's not as funny. Right? As as the protagonist in all those other movies I named. Right? And I that is mean ulti- to just lay that at his at Pete Davidson's feet. It, it, I I didn't want to say that, so you know. But like, it <laughs> well, I was does trying to, I was trying to go in there and rescue you, Jeff. Well, um. I appreciate it. No, take the bullet. But I, you know, I it does feel a little bit like that, and and it but, feels it feels mean spirited to to lay it at his feet like that. But well, I I, I would say that uh, it's a very personal reaction. You know, I I know there are people mm-hmm. who are huge fans of Pete Davidson, and it's just like there are people for whom that persona really works for them. So I am not well, in he, any way. He, he's he's such a weird. Like this guy baffles me too. Like we don't we don't talk about dating lives here on the show, but if you look at Pete, oh, Davis you're gonna go there. Dating life, and you're I'm just like, there. no, it's more like, wow, what is what is happening? What is happening? Where you know everybody loves Pete Davidson, but also like he is he is certainly attracting uh, some amazing you know women and some like very famous and talented people who just like are attracted to this guy who to me just feels like this the stoner that's just like uh playing that SNL character. Yeah, so this so, is so, not yeah. So yeah, Jeff, it's less of a slam on Pete Davidson and more like there is something that a yeah. significant Hip. portion of the American population really likes and enjoys about Pete <laughs> Davidson that simply does not resonate with me. And that I, that is I, yeah, not yeah, a value yeah. judgment. I'm not well, saying like you're you're all you all have bad taste or anything like that. I'm just saying like for me it didn't quite work because I don't have that connection to that kind of persona that he's putting out. I wonder um, uh, yeah. the connection I was trying to make is and maybe this is off base, but I'm gonna guess maybe there is some kind of generational thing. Like this this sort of constant irony the constant like disconnection and everything is sort of through a haze of sort of drug-induced uh shallowness you know there's like a and and again he's not shallow right he's clearly dealing with some very heavy very real Mm -hmm. uh, loss and and it's a movie rooted in grief and i don't think any of the apatow movies have done it this this deep before you know it's a tough thing to juggle with humor but everything, I mean, er, er, there are lines he constantly says in this movie about, like, I'm totally fucked up. I don't have my shit mm-hmm. together. I, I'm a mm-hmm. piece of shit. I, I don't, you know, you, you don't, you can't put, give me any responsibility. I'm, I don't have my shit together. And it's like that kind of like ir- ironic wink, wink. I'm, I'm incapable of the, I don't know. There's a, there's a weird sort of disconnected why should i care about anything you know like yeah i'll tattoo a little kid who, who cares you know it's it's all of it is who cares all of it is that beavis and butthead like <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's stupid yeah it's all that it's all irony and i think there's kind of a generational or an element of the generation below us for whom that's that's the internet that's that's how they interface with things i don't know yeah. I, I don't know but you're bringing up Beavis and Butthead, and Beavis and Butthead was like quintessential Gen X, like you know. But I think that, we that was at pure those guys. apathy. We, yeah, we yeah. You laughed like at kinship those guys. with them. I didn't feel like those guys <laughs> spoke for me. I felt like I was laughing at at those guys. You know. <laughs> I mean, mm. but I still like yeah. As much I I grew up in Beavis and Butthead. I love Mike Judge. I lo- I saw that movie in the theaters. You know, and I 
it's not like I love them, but I did feel some sort of connection to those idiots. And I think I'm feeling a similar connection to this guy being an idiot, even though it is certainly hard to swallow in this time that we're in. Uh, I, I, you know, being an exploration of Pete Davidson's own life, you know, him dealing with the loss of his father, this movie feels like he is working through some stuff. I just don't know if it's all as interesting as it could be. I think that's the biggest failure of this movie because it leans so much on a lot of that. And also there are a ton of subplots that just don't go anywhere or need to be in there. Like there's a, there's a, a store robbery in this movie. Yeah. That just feels <laughs> completely, I don't know what happened. And people are getting shot and things are just going crazy and he runs away. Like, yeah, it's, it feels so random and out of place. Can I, uh, so overall the movie didn't, didn't really work for me. Cause I, I just, there's so many things going on in the world right now, you know, that like, mm-hmm. I just don't, care about this guy's problems like that that was ultimately putting aside the whole charm and the humor like that is really ultimately what didn't work it was just the wrong movie for me at this time in my life so and that's the uh, entire movie if you don't buy that right right right. Uh, it's all gone uh, i do want to ask this question uh how long you've lived in new york city uh oh man you make me think uh 12 years now yeah so uh, i'm gonna talk a little bit about the ending real quick so if you you Mm -hmm. don't want to hear the ending but basically I, i thought the ending was kind of weird uh, he he gets there uh, with Belle Pauly, who, by the way, is awesome and like so good. She she's just she is a rising star and she's very good in this movie. And you you got to check out everything else that Belle Pauly's been in. Um, but I uh, I the the ending of this movie is she goes to take this test. They kind of reconcile a little bit, and then he kind of like walks out into Manhattan, right? And I guess the idea is like he's graduated from Staten Island to Manhattan. And my question for you is, what place does Staten Island hold in the popular imagination in New York City? Like, um, I, you know, from from this movie, it seems like is there a place below Sewer Rat? <laughs> in this movie, it seems like a shithole. But I'm curious, like, what your perception has been as a New Yorker yourself? I will listen. I can only I can only talk as somebody who moved to Brooklyn because Brooklyn was where like all the cool people were moving, and I never really lived in cool neighborhoods. Um, Everybody hates Staten Island, except <laughs> Staten Islanders, who will tell you it's the greatest goddamn place on earth. Mm. And I think that, I think that kinship, like that love for that garbage island, which, uh, <laughs> sorry, sorry, listeners, but it's literally built on a dump. Literally <laughs> built on a dump. Um, the views you know, of it's not a place I go- do not necessarily represent the views. <laughs> it's uh, it's not a place I go very often, and also because like the few times I have gone there, it feels weird. It it is a weird zone of like it's like you've gone to another planet almost like because it's not quite New York it's not quite Jersey it's in between both um, just crazy crazy place uh, but here's the thing like I think that's the big thing of the movie is like so many Staten Island people seem to have like a chip on their shoulders about the rest of New York forgetting them. Uh, even though like man I have to say this even looking at this movie is like you guys get a free ferry to the <laughs> to the city every day. You could sit and drink a beer on the ferry on your way to work. Oh man, that sounds that sounds pretty nice compared to being jam packed on the subways. So it's a there's a lot of hate back and forth, but I think a lot of overall love as you know we're all New Yorkers. Uh, fair enough, fair enough. Uh, good, good, it's just complicated. Good, good to get your perspective on it. Good okay? to get your perspective yeah. on it. Um, but yeah, it's just like okay, so the ending is he's in Manhattan now. And the world, the Manhattan world, is his oyster. He has he has surpassed that which he came from, I guess. Right? I don't know. 
didn't didn't really know how to take that final shot. He did the thing, like, he didn't do the selfish thing. It was just, like, he went with the girl, and he's waiting for her. And that's like that. That is the like one, the, the bare minimum. He act showed he some make. human decency. <laughs> he showed some human decency. That is he his can, arc. He's okay with himself to exist in Manhattan for a couple hours until her, um, you know, her exam is done. It is. It feels like a really weird place to leave this movie because also, what is what is his thing? He just feels he feels better about himself now. But there's the movie didn't present to us like a pa- a path he would start moving towards other than tattoo restaurant which i i don't even know why i was, ex- I was kind of expecting that, so that would they would tie that up like uh, yeah. with, with uh, i thought he would go back to the guy he almost apprenticed with remember that guy like yeah. and he made yep. fun of the big jacked guy you know yeah i thought like it was gonna go back there um but i do think that uh like learning about how his dad was not perfect was really his arc mm-hmm. in this movie right like yep. he right. he learned he thought his dad was a saint and then like through hard work and staying with these firemen people like he learned uh that uh the image of his dad is not perfect and that kind of helped him to move on um because he was measuring himself against it his whole life so i do think there that you know that's that is the the yeah. somewhat satisfying arc of the movie for me but I, I agree there. by the way we, we we didn't bring up steve buscemi in this movie but i love I love him so much in this movie and the vibe and the character that he's playing. Like he is a volunteer fireman. Like he is out there. Um, I believe, you know, during nine 11 and during like everything that was happening, he just showed up and was here helping. And I give him a lot of credit for that. So Steve Buscemi also knows that environment and like, you know, living in the firehouse and having these guys. So he felt like he was giving a lot of authenticity to this whole thing. Yeah. My favorite part of this movie, the part that I laughed, the, I think one part that I laughed uh, <laughs> at was the, uh, the tattoo, uh, using the belly button to make yep. the cat butt <laughs> in, in, inspired, inspired. L- let me ask you guys this. Do you think this movie would have worked better for you in a theater with a crowd and like riding the wave of a crowd's reaction? <sighs> I don't know, man. I mean, it's hard to tell, but yeah. Yeah. I, I will say that. I think what this uh, pandemic has done is reconfigure my sense of what I'm willing to pay twenty dollars for. <laughs> no kidding, dude. <laughs> Do you know, because I real I realized I I don't if we weren't reviewing it on this podcast, there is right. no way I would have paid twenty dollars for this movie. I mean, I pay nearly twenty dollars for movie tickets when movie tickets existed. So yeah, well, yeah, it's all the same to me. Yeah, I uh, I will tell you that forty minutes into this two hour and sixteen long. <laughs> minute long movie <laughs> my wife stood up and went well i'm leaving and i went i, I can't blame you i'm leaving you for good yeah. and the kids because of this movie she's like how i'm much going lo-? out for cigarettes she goes how much longer is this and i pushed the pause button to look <laughs> and i and i and i went holy god this is hell so much more of this movie left yeah um i mean I, I will say, like, I, I think, like, for me personally, I'm not saying what people, other people should do, you know, we're, we're going to need to navigate these kind of purchasing decisions in the future. But for me personally, it's going to be, like, an event <laughs> movie, you know, or something. Right, right. Honestly, and this, I feel I was, terrible saying this. I feel terrible saying this. 
but something with a lot of visual effects. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> what, what, I, what I mean you by have that changed, is changed, David. You I know have I changed. have. I'm, I'm not saying I would never purchase a movie like King of Staten Island. I'm not even saying wait for streaming to watch King of right. Staten Island. Right. But I'm saying I don't know that I'm willing to pay twenty bucks to rent King of Staten Island. <laughs> Do you know what I'm, you know what I'm saying? Like. Like you would own ticket. it and hate it it's for twenty dollars. Yeah, but, I, yeah. I, 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 I would own it and hate it for twenty dollars. I'm not going to rent it for twenty dollars though. Can you I know? tell you I something? It. I, see it. I, genu- I was genuinely excited to see this. A new Judd Apatow movie yeah. with a new, yeah. new young. It's been talent. five years since Train Eric. I like, was come genuinely on. excited to see this. I, I was happy to pay the. T- I was shocked when the twenty dollars came up and it said rent twenty dollars. I was like, <laughs> oh, oh, here we are. Okay, but but you know it is it it like Davinder said. This is what I would have paid. Although I would have had a subscription to the movie theater across the street if mm, the world were mm. different, um, but you know this is this is what a ticket to a movie would have been. You know, it's not that different. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I, I, are, you're disagreeing with me then, Jeff? I'm saying that while I got sticker shock as well, I think yeah. we kind of have to realign our expectations. If there's no more movie theaters, mm-hmm. I think this is going to be more the. The norm than anything well, else. but that's but yeah. I, I the the thing is though that if it is like a I would say mid tier appetite we can all agree regardless of how much we like it I'm not seeing a lot of people saying like this is Judd Apatow's best movie right right, right. Uh, this is the the poster says Judd Apatow's <laughs> best film yet according to something called Awards Circuit mm, there you go um, yeah. this is mid tier Apatow right in my opinion. And I don't know that I'd be willing to pay $20 to rent mid-tier Apatow when you can watch probably literally 50 things uh, on a service that you already subscribed to that is as good as mid-tier Apatow right now. Well, watch yeah. all his shows that he's been involved with over the past few years, and they're be- a better experience than this. For well, sure. I think you're, you've hit on something that is going to be a problem going forward if we live in this universe for a long time. And that is what's the difference. What's the fundamental difference between a quote unquote first run movie and a straight to Netflix movie? Well, I can tell you what the difference was in this case, which is that (laughs) this movie was going to come out in theaters. Right. Right. Yeah. Like that, that is the difference. So was Lovebirds. Well, that's true, but it was then it was acquired by Netflix. But, no, I'm, but yeah. that's what I'm saying. Like to the end user, <laughs> yes. What's no, the I difference? agree. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Is my the point I was making was it was supposed to be in theaters, but that is the only difference. Like there's right. not any other. But when meaningful we get difference. to a point where there's no such thing as theaters, yes. What what is the difference? Like I think ultimately it will come down to your definition. The twenty dollar movie, and honestly, movie theaters have been wanting to do this for a fucking decade. Where they're like, no, the theaters did. Not want to do this. Yeah. The studios, well, studios, studios. I right? mean, the theatrical experience. They were pushing for the theatrical experience to do this for decades. Where Star Wars right. would cost more than Lovebirds, right? It would just oh, okay, cost okay. more. Oh because, yeah, yeah, yeah. Variable yeah. pricing. Yeah, right. Yeah. So the idea, the idea that I think you're kind of hitting at, Dave, is if it has a lot of special. If it's Wonder Woman and it goes and w- there's no movie theaters and Wonder Woman comes out, it's twenty dollars and you go, yeah. <laughs> because it's like it feels like a big thing but if but let me let me put this out there jeff let me put this out there jeff isn't it odd that movies are one of the only industries in which there's not variable pricing like in every other industry in which you buy things generally the cost of that thing 
is related to how much I- the price is. General. Uh, I mean, not usually. Not, Wait, the yeah, co- did you say the cost sometimes. is related to the price? The, like the cost <laughs> co- to make the thing is re- right, is right, is right. connected in some way, mm. perhaps very loosely, to how much you, it costs to buy it at the store, like the price of it. Yeah. Right. So if it's if it's an expensive thing to make, it will cost you more money to buy it. Right. Uh, well, the price I mean, will be a, higher. For a long time, you could say that music was like that. There was a cost of a CD or an album that was fixed and it didn't matter how long the band took to make it or how, you know, it, it was, that was the price of a, of a compact yeah. disc or a, a record album. No, um, that's, that's true. I'm definitely getting into, uh, you know, freshman dorm <laughs> smoking weed territory here <laughs> in terms of level of, level of too insight. Much time with Pete Davidson. Yeah, I was just yeah. Saying, it's yeah. very consistent for our movie choice this week. <laughs> but, but I guess like, uh, to me, it, it, it seems like it would actually make like, this movie, I don't know what the budget was. I can't imagine it cost more than $50 million, right? Uh, yeah. But if there's a movie that cost $150 million, isn't there an argument to be made that maybe you should pay a little bit more money for that one? Mm-hmm. I, I think there's I think there's an argument to be made. Uh, people, I, think, uh, I, I feel like he, this is... This is terrible. What are you talking about? <laughs> Don't put this idea in their heads, I mean, Dave. Like we're already paying for 3D and 4DX. <laughs> if it, like they're trying so many ways to upscale these things. Well, if you look at the if you look at the video game industry, they right. did it, but in the inverse, right? It became <laughs> we have a fixed point over which we don't really go. That's yeah. sixty dollar price point. Yes, there's collector's editions and all that mumbo jumbo, but for the most part, there's this fixed point at sixty dollars, which is sort of what most stuff comes out at right right but we but there is a whole classification of things at 40 at 1999 you know steam has all this variable pricing in this sort of realm below it's not that things went up from 60 it's that things went down from 60 they stabilized at 60 once we hit cds because do not forget when your super nintendo cartridges would cost 80 dollars because it had a battery in there to save the game i don't know what i paid 80 dollars for street fighter 2 the World Warriors, and I don't know why. But you don't I regret don't it because why. it was amazing. I don't regret it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's an article about variable pricing over at Hollywood Reporter. This is from 2019. Um, and I'll just read it really quickly from here. Variable pricing faces enormous resistance. This is back, by the way, again, pre-COVID. Although theater chains and Hollywood studios continue to discuss the controversial practice, according to insiders, some studios are less resistant than others. Ditto for exhibition circuits. Quote, when you charge a lower price right there, you are saying the movie isn't as good as another film. You're saying you have to discount it in order for people to show up, says analyst Eric Handler of MKM Partners. I don't think that is something you're going to see anytime soon. End quote. No U.S. chain has tested variable pricing in a serious way. This is exactly the same argument that the video game industry had. And then people started putting out games for $40 and selling well. And then the whole indie market exploded yeah. at, at lower prices. But for the longest time, everything had to be the same price because they went, I'm I'm not going to devalue my game by making it seem less, you know, cost right. less. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, I, anyway, I, I know like there's probably going to, half the audience is going to revolt as a result of what I've said and and... I know a lot of people don't like that idea, but for me, it makes sense. And, and particularly, I'm feeling it very acutely. Like, I had I had fewer regrets buying Bloodshot permanently for $20 <laughs> than I did you? renting 
King of Staten Island temporarily for twenty dollars. You know I, what I mean? I mean, if you think, wow. I think what you're saying actually makes a lot of sense. It's an it's an inconvenient truth, but I think it is it is uh, makes a lot of sense in the sense you know if you think of walking up to a movie theater as looking at a menu. Right. If you if you're yeah. looking at the foie gras compared to the, you know, the, the chicken salad sandwich. Yeah. It, not to say the chicken salad sandwich is going to taste any. You know, Correct. Not taste it's not like or, it's it's less delicious or anything or like that. Fill you up less or anything. But the foie gras costs more because it it costs more to make. Yeah. It costs more to make. That's all I'm saying on a very factual <laughs> level. OK. Anyway, fascinating times ahead of us, gents. We'll see what happens. <laughs> Uh, but that's going to bring us to the end of our discussion of the King of Staten Island and the, and the end of this episode of the Slash Filmcast. You can find more episodes of this podcast at SlashFilmcast.com. Email us at SlashFilmcast.com. Our spoiler bumper comes from filmmaker Kyle Hillinger. Our theme song comes from AdamWarrock.com. This episode was edited by Beatty Zhang. Stay tuned to hear what we'll be discussing next week. In the meantime, Jeff Kanata, where can you find more of your work on the internet? Well, you can always follow me on Twitter. I'm at Jeff Kanata, which is spelled with two N's and one T. I have several other shows for you to check out if you're so inclined, including my video game podcast called DLC. We did a very lengthy, in-depth, but spoiler-free discussion of The Last of Us Part 2 this week, which uh, which was really fun. And The discussion uh, or the game, Jeff? Uh, the, <laughs> therein lies the rub. Uh, this, I can guarantee you the discussion is very fun. Um, but I also do a comedy science show called We Have Concerns. Uh, we talk about science and make jokes. Uh, check that out at wehaveconcerns.com. And then there's my long-form Dungeons & Dragons show called The Dungeon Run. We are featured again this week on IGN. Very proud of that. Uh, so go check it out over on IGN. You can search for The Dungeon Run there on their uh, YouTube channel. Or you can just search on YouTube for The Dungeon Run. You'll find all of our 50 episodes there. Uh, you can also find us as an audio podcast where you where you get audio podcasts. Just search for The Dungeon Run. Or tune in live on Wednesday nights when we record at 6 p.m. Pacific time at caffeine.tv slash The Dungeon Run. Devendra Hardware, how about you? Oh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Devendra. I write about tech at Engadget.com. I'm also co-hosting the podcast there, the Engadget podcast. So go check that out, too. And you know what? Uh, if you're on Twitter, send Devendra some some love uh, on Twitter at, at uh, uh, Devendra, right? Um, yeah. Because uh, he's uh, undergoing a pretty big move in the next couple weeks, and um, you know, I'm yeah, sure he man. could use some of your support. So it's gonna be it's gonna be a trip, like a very long trip and a crazy experience. But I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I'm looking forward I, to hearing about it. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. It's hard to celebrate in the time when like everything is terrible and you know people are out of work and everything. But I. You know, it'll, it'll be a fun experience. I'm looking forward to Sophia having a p- safe place to play outside, basically. Mm. That's all the only reason I'm doing this, basically. <laughs> uh, I launched a new podcast with my longtime co-host, Jonah Robinson, called Truth versus Hollywood, in which we walk through six movies based off of true stories and talk about why they differed from uh, why the true story differed from the movie and how it differed. And we talked to experts uh, that were involved in the real life events. It's a pretty interesting podcast. Check it out. Truth versus Hollywood. It is wherever your podcasts can be downloaded. Next week, we'll be discussing Spike Lee's new movie, The Five Bloods, which is available right now on Netflix. It's one of the top-ranked movies on Netflix. And uh, very much a movie that is relevant to this moment that we are in right now. So I'm looking forward to chatting with you guys about it next week on the Slash Filmcast. We'll see you later. We watched the movie.